Well, we'll go ahead and uh, pick up where we left off uh, last week. <clears throat> well, we're going to finish up our 40-point series, 40-point um, overview of the Bible. And uh, then, like I uh, think I mentioned uh, before, that from time to time I might um, bring up those 40 points just to review and um, see if that's a help to us, um, remembering things. Uh, the key to that's review. Of course, I'm not going to do it you know, year after year after year, per se. So probably at some point we have the temptation to forget at least parts of them. And, uh, but perhaps uh, you might find it helpful to keep a copy of that handy somewhere. Um, I, I could even I have the original yellow card that Dr. Jerry Tetro handed out in church. I could always photocopy uh, that specific card for anyone that wants it. Um, I know that Dr. Tetra would not mind that. He's gone on to be with the Lord, uh, but he was handing those out and desired just to give those out freely as a blessing, so it wasn't something that uh, he was worried about copyright and getting paid on. Um, so I always appreciated the time when Dr. Tetra came and visited with us. He was uh, president, then chancellor at uh, International Baptist College and Seminary down in the uh, Phoenix area, uh, currently in Chandler, Arizona, formerly in Tempe, Arizona, which are just suburbs of Phoenix. Um, so um, we miss Dr. Tetro. I really enjoyed him. He was a unique uh, character. Um, I believe he spoke seven languages. Um, very few people can speak seven languages. Um, in World War II, he, um, I don't know if he technically you can call him a spy. I mean, he he would listen in on communications of the Russians, I think. Might not have been World War II, might have just been the Cold War era, come to think of it. Uh, but he would listen in on communications, so his language abilities were uh, put to use that way. But um, he, you know, of course, the biblical languages are, are part of that. I think he has a French background, like French Canadians. He speaks, spoke French and he spoke English, of course. Um, but I think he can read Hebrew and Greek and so he had a lot of insight um, there. I'm sure International Baptist College and Seminary misses having him down there. Uh, but it, it kind of reminds us of this, that uh, none of us live forever. Our opportunity to live for the Lord is short. Only those that are alive can minister to other people that are alive. So we're reading in the Bible, and it in some senses, it doesn't matter what they did back then because they can't minister to us now. They minister to the people that are alive then. Now, I said, in, in a sense, it means that, but truthfully, what they did back then still impacts us, not just because it's recorded in Scripture and we can learn from that, but um, you have the opportunity to impact uh, down the road, um, as one verse of the Bible says to um, I forget the exact wording, but basically, I think it's encouragement, perhaps Paul to Timothy, but uh, perhaps someone else, uh, to be taught and then turn around and teach others who will be able to turn around and teach others also. And um, so I, I don't even know what all led up to my hearing the salvation message as a young boy um, accepting the Lord as Savior when I was just five. Um, I know that my mom and dad had the big part in that. Um, and of course, we went to church, so I think I had heard something in Sunday school being taught the gospel. I remember at bed at night, um, I asked my mom about getting saved. And so I remember my mom praying with her at bed at night. Um, but I think something in church led to that. But what led to the Sunday school being a Christian, so that they would turn around and share that with me. And then what led to my mom getting saved? Well, I know a little bit of the story of that because uh, her, her family were not church-going and were not Christians um, at the time she was young. And I think someone took her uh, to church, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, or something like that. Uh, she started going, and then she came home, and she said to my grandma that she she wanted to pray before the meal and so and then sometimes they would pray and sometimes they wouldn't they'd forget and my grandma's just finally like, well either we're going to do it or not so and I guess they decided to do it 
And um, there's and I think there's probably more in there. Just somehow they they, they ended up um, going to church. Um, eventually ended up uh, getting saved um, at my grandma's funeral. Um, I heard some testimonies from uh, people how they were trying to share the gospel. Like my grandparents had had desire to share the gospel, even des- desire to take the motorhome that they had, maybe use that as a um, a witnessing opportunity, but here it was other people impacting in my family and and but who impacted them in the previous generation who impacted them who shared the gospel with them? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and that it 's people who share god 's chosen to use people to share those things and um, so there is a legacy uh, there, um, but we have uh, ourselves the opportunity to be a part of that and so we can study the scriptures and we can share that uh, with others and uh, part of that's uh, just you know here at church sharing uh, the bible this morning in our sunday school lesson so um, but um, i'm sure they miss uh, dr tetra but his time on earth gone but hopefully those that he impacted are impacting others who will impact others and that the gospel message will continue, and that Dr. Tetro, even though there'll come a time where people don't remember him very well, um, maybe don't remember him much at all unless they're reading out of a history book, um, and yet there'll be people who don't even know that his life had an impact on them, but they, they don't know that, just like I don't really know myself, who 200 years ago was a believer that impacted my family now. So, all right, well, we're, we've enjoyed, I hope uh, it's been profitable, our 40-point overview of the Bible. And I think Dr. Tetro put that together um, as maybe a simple 40-point overview that might help a person kind of understand the Bible a little more and get, get kind of the range of the Bible uh, by taking the time to uh, memorize those 40 points. Um, so we're in the last of them, uh, point 40, John's writings. We already looked at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, so we're looking at the uh, epistles uh, specifically. Um, so we did, we did the Gospel of John prior, uh, but the, we're um, putting those in the general epistles, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John were, and, and just, again, this one commentator lumps in Revelation, which isn't really an epistle, just for the purposes of memorization, having a 949 pattern here on our New Testament epistle slide. Okay, so then I'm going to go to the next slide and come back to John's writings, uh, point 40, uh, 40, and pick up where we left off, coming to the book of Revelation. So our next slide there. Okay, now I've mentioned a few things about um, these first uh, few points last week, so I might repeat myself. Um, but I've added a few um, extra things in just to um, add to what I was able to say last week. Since I'm coming back to the point, I could uh, do even more. Um, you know, I have limited time, uh, being the you know, not my full-time job to be a, a pastor. I'm not a pastor. Um, and so sometimes I do what I can with the lesson, with the time that I have. But if I don't finish a lesson, that means the next week I can come back and do even a little more. Uh, with that. Even this morning, I, I did a little bit more um, adding, um, uh, actually, I'll get to that in a moment, but adding a map, but I only have that for the room here because I did it after it already submitted the slides. Uh, but we'll get to the Isle of Patmos in a moment. Um, so here's what one person mentions on John the Apostle. By the way, is John the Apostle? He's John the Evangelist. He had a lot to do with evangelism or ministering to people's needs. Uh, so he uh, picked up that uh, title that people attribute to him. He also was an apostle, um, different than John the Baptist, of course. And so John was a common name uh, at that time, as was Jesus, a common name as well. And so here's what one uh, person says. Five books in the New Testament have been traditionally associated with an author uh, figure named John. Uh, The fourth gospel, the three Johannine is just a, a form of the word John. So uh, the three Johannine epistles and Revelation. Of these, only Revelation's author identi- identifies himself by name. 
But if you go back to the uh, Gospel of John, um, he, do, he does in the Gospel of John um, refer to himself, um, but he, he doesn't ever refer to himself like in the first person, like I or this is me. Um, so he kind of is a little bit anonymous uh, there. Um, sometimes he refers to himself as the, the, the uh, disciple whom Jesus loved instead of just naming himself. Um, he had a close relationship with Jesus. He was part of that inner circle, uh, Peter, James, and John. Um, and so, um, yeah, so you find in, in many of his works, he doesn't say, here I am, I'm the writer. Uh, but we understand him to be the writer of the, the Gospel of John as well as uh, the three epistles of John. Uh, this author uh, goes on uh, to mention uh, that in Revelation 1.9 is one spot where he identifies himself. Uh, so in Revelation 1.9, it says this, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he does identify himself uh, in the, the book of Revelation and maybe breaks with his habit or tradition. I don't know if on the other, you know, when he's writing the other ones, if um, if it was intentional, maybe it was just his habit and didn't even stop and think about whether he named himself or not. I don't know. Um, but um, anyways, he clearly identifies himself in chapter 1, verse 9, as well as uh, some other verses where he does. It's interesting in, in 1, verse 9, um, he mentions, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulations. I'm your, I'm your brother in Christ. We're co-laborers, and the Bible describes Christians as co-laborers. Hopefully that's what we are this morning. Laboring together. It's a local body of believers to do the work of the ministry. Um, I guess uh, just popped out as kind of quoting a particular verse talking about doing the work of the ministry. Uh, but that's what a pastor's job is, is to build up people in the church so that they can do the work of the ministry. Of course, hopefully the pastor's doing the work of the ministry also. Um, but uh, co-laboring together in Christ, and that's the way John saw himself. Uh, I, who, am, who also am your brother, so I'm your brother in Christ, and your companion. Uh, here, though, companion in tribulation, we're reminded that uh, this is during a time period uh, where there was a lot of tribulation uh, going on. The Roman Empire was persecuting Christians uh, during this time. And so it was, uh, it's not a surprise then that uh, he mentions that. Uh, this is um, probably written, and I'll put up my next, uh, or point out the next point on the slide here place and date, um, the Isle of Patmos around AD 95. Well, this is past the time of Nero. Uh, but there is still persecution uh, that is taking place. I was trying to scan a quote that I have to try to remember what the name of the man was that um, took the place of Nero and continued a lot of the persecutions, but I'm not sure if I actually copied it into my notes or not, so we'll see if I come across his name. Um, I, I saw it again last week. I couldn't remember it. It starts with a D, and then I saw it and remembered it. Now I'm forgetting again. Well, such is life. And it's not getting any better from here. So, so I've heard from people older than me. Uh, I'll, I'll accept that by faith. Um, but, all right, so, but he mentions here in chapter 1, verse 9, uh, being companions in the tribulation. They certainly have experienced tribulation. Sometimes we experience tribulation. As American Christians in this time period, not, not really a lot, comparatively speaking. Uh, but sometimes, yeah. We've had that during COVID, um, not so much our church, but some churches have really um, had the government come down upon them uh, with large fines, trying to force them into um, complying with COVID restrictions that um, the church felt would keep them from being able to gather together and worship. So uh, that's a form of persecution. Uh, but mildly speaking, compared to being you know, Peter crucified, Paul beheaded, Others, like Nero, set up as human torches, you know, take their bodies and I don't know what they put on them, waxes or oils or what, set them on fire. And, um, so it was, it was a bad time of tribulation. Uh, but he was also 
their companion um, in the kingdom uh, com- uh, and patience of Jesus Christ. And so he was their fellow laborer in kingdom activities. And he was in the Isle of Patmos, it says. Um, so that's our second point uh, here on the slide. Um, in the Isle of Patmos. Now the Isle of Patmos is located um, off the coast of Turkey. So it's in the Aegean Sea between Greece and Turkey. Here's one uh, description of this. Early tradition says that John was banished to Patmos by the Roman authorities. This tradition is credible. So Notice, by the way, um, there's a little hint behind this. I don't know the person who wrote this. Um, but the hint behind it is this. God's word's inspired. Uh, church traditions are not. So sometimes you're saying, okay, is that, is that real? I mean, it's not God telling us that in his word. Um, but this person who's writing this uh, says the following about the credibility of that, um, uh, about him being banished. Now, not, not so much the credibility about whether he's on the Isle of Patmos. The Bible says that. But why was he on the Isle of Patmos? Um, says this tradition of him being banished to that island is credible because banishment was a common punishment used during the imperial period for a number of offenses. Among such offenses were the practices of magic and astrology. Now, if I were just to stop right there and think, what? Okay, what's that have to do with John? He didn't deal. He didn't work in magic or astrology. Well, remember, this is going to be from the view of the Romans. So it goes on to read, Prophecy was viewed by the Romans as belonging to the same category, whether pagan, Jewish, or Christian. Prophecy with political implications, like that expressed by John in the book of Revelation, would have been perceived as a threat to Roman political power and order. And so three of the islands in the Sporades, now what in the world is a Sporades? Well, I guess that's a name, I had to look that up. That's a name for the archipelago or the island chains uh, that it's located in. And so uh, three of the islands in the Sporades were places where political offenders were banished. So it would make a lot of sense that, saying it seems credible because the Romans actually did that, and Patmos was one of the islands of three islands where they tended to banish people for things like that. And so apparently John was banished to the island of Patmos. Now prior to this, he administered in, in various places, including uh, the city of Ephesus. And uh, we talked about that with the, uh, one of the Johannine uh, epistles, um, where uh, he was likely, actually two of them likely wrote them from the city of Ephesus, but apparently was banished after that, the Johannine epistles being written five or more years before Revelation. Um, so apparently then after his banishment, he's on the island and, and is given a revelation. Now it is called a revelation because God's revealing something to John. And so it's, it's a revelation of God to John that he is instructed to put in writing. Okay. So, all right. Um, so let me move along then and uh, talk a little bit more about uh, some of the things that I went over last week and we'll come back to again just for a review and then get into uh, new material. Okay, so three main approaches would be a special consideration. Actually, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, purpose of the book, uh, prophecy. Okay, and then some special consideration. Ah, see, there I go, getting ahead of myself again. I guess that's the last point on the slide. Uh, then the theme, end time events. We're going to come back to that this morning with a slide that kind of summarizes uh, some of the points of Revelation. Of course, we're doing a summary, so it, it's a quick review. Uh, but now, the one I've been trying to get to, point after point. Um, there are three main approaches uh, that uh, you could have as you look at the book of Revelation. One is allegorical, one is historical, and one is futuristic. So I mentioned these last week. Some people say, ah, it's, it's allegory. None of it's intended to be taken literally. It's just all allegory. Some would say it's not allegory, but it, it's historical. It's things that have already happened to the church. It's maybe uh, uh, referencing things in the past. And then there's the futuristic, that it's a prophecy about things yet to happen. And uh, this is the futuristic approach, is the one that our church holds to, and I think uh, the majority 
of mainstream evangelical churches would hold to that. Um, but you know, you, you never get everyone to agree on everything, and you, so you get a wide variety in Christianity of interpretations of, of different things. Um, so um, we're not getting into it this morning as to maybe some thoughts on interpreting the Bible and when do you take something more literally and when do you take it more figuratively. We know the Bible does have figurative languages. It's not like allegories don't happen. We know the Bible does have prophecy in it that is about things that have already happened. Um, and then we know the Bible has prophecy in it about things that are yet to happen. Uh, one of the comments of one commentator, uh, I'll read it to you, says this, the futuristic approach to the apocalypse is the only approach that harmonizes uh, prophecies in the books of Daniel and Matthew and Second Thessalonians, other passages. And those are some of the key passages of the Bible to have prophecy about the end times. But also uh, passages in Jeremiah and Romans, the book of John, Zechariah, and um, and probably even some others, but those are the ones the author mentioned. So the futuristic approach harmonizes those. The futuristic approach is best because it alone accomplishes the purpose of 1-1, which states that the book is prophetic. Now, I don't have 1-1 copied in my notes here. Would someone mind reading Revelation 1-1? Jeff, thank you. Revelation So we know this definitely at the time John wrote this, um, that it was about things that had not yet happened. Now you get back to that historical approach, is it about things that will, that have already happened since the time of that writing? And some would probably say that if they hold to that historical approach. Um, but it doesn't seem to fit. I mean, you know, fit with anything I can think of in history, where these kind of apocalyptic kind of events that are talked about and like end time events um, fit. And it doesn't really fit with these other passages uh, that teach us truths such as about the millennium, the rapture of the church, an antichrist, um, the great tribulation. Um, and so the futuristic approach, I think, is the best approach. And um, all right, well, we'll uh, move on to a second uh, special consideration on interpretation. And so, here are some interpretive principles that could be helpful looking at the book. Revelation must be approached literally. That doesn't mean everything's literal in it, but as literally as makes sense to take it. And uh, we do that with each other all the time. Sometimes you take what people say literally, and, and sometimes you don't. And we have sayings that, you know, he's such a couch potato, but we know that's not literal. Um, it's obvious by the context and familiarity with the language that you wouldn't do it that way. Um, and, uh, but then you get some that are a little iffy. He's a lazy bum. Well, maybe you have to know a little bit more about that to mean, are we talking about like totally a lazy bum? Like completely worthless, doesn't do anything? Um, or do we mean just, okay, he's being a lazy bum right now? <laughs> being a lazy bum, you're being a couch potato. So, so we know that language can be tricky, especially if you're reading something from uh, written a while ago, um, be a little less familiar with the language and the culture. That's where the study comes in. But I think um, a general Bible interpretation principle that um, conservative evangelical uh, Bible students uh, accept is the idea of taking things literally when it makes sense to do so. Unless we have a good reason not to, maybe God meant it the way he said it. Um, all right, second interpretive principle, understanding that the Old Testament is a significant key in interpreting Revelation. So we try to interpret it apart from books like Daniel and the book of Matthew and the, and the book of First Thessalonians. Um, we're missing some of the revelation God has given about these end time events because it doesn't all just happen in the book of Revelation. And then the third interpretive principle is that, re um, that interpretation is greatly simplified when it is discovered that Revelation is basically in a chronological order. Okay. And so uh, we'll come back to that in a little bit when we get to our summary uh, page on that. 
and uh, see how that is true. I'll show on the summary page the outline that shows chronology uh, of the book and how uh, the events are in chronological order. All right, um, so let's see. Okay, so for some reason, I have duplicate printing of some of the notes. So I, I thought I had another slide coming up, and then I realized, wait a minute, the note, that's the same thing. Okay, um, so here we are to that summary page. And uh, we have the points on this summary page showing that. So notice, first of all, the parentheses are showing... Uh, the verses, and so we're doing them in order, starting with chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 1, verse 8, and then picking up in verse 9 to the end of that chapter, start of chapter 2 to the end of chapter 3, start of chapter 4 to verse 5 of chapter 22, verse 6 of chapter 22 to verse 21, and that's the end of the book. So the revelation is in that order, then uh, let's notice that the first and last points, introduction and conclusion, the three points in, be, in between in chronological order, past, present, future. Uh, and let's read a verse, um, chapter 1, verse 19, and the title of those three points on the slide come from this verse. Um, here are instructions being given to John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And so instructions to John by the Holy Spirit are to write down this revelation that God's given, and it's going to be about the things that John had already seen, and the things which are currently happening, and the things which shall be hereafter that will happen in the future. And so that um, I think that verse provides a little bit of an outline for us uh, for the chapter. Now we're doing a summary, so we're not going to get into all of that. Uh, but perhaps I could share a few things um, out of the book of John. Um, the things which thou hast seen. Uh, for example, chapter 1, uh, verse 17 and 18. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Well, here, Jesus, uh, speaking to John, I am, I am Jesus, I was alive, uh, and then I died, and I am alive forevermore. Now, the book of Revelation doesn't spend a lot of time on the things that have been, but it presents Jesus, the one who had been alive and is still alive, is risen from the dead and in heaven. And so uh, that's a major part, as John's remembering back to the life of Jesus, the things that he had seen. And then uh, we're perhaps uh, familiar with chapters 2 and 3, the things uh, which are. We have uh, the letters written to the seven churches uh, in uh, Asia Minor in the western side of the modern-day country of Turkey. Um, they're all kind of located near each other. Um, the, the churches that were there uh, were not all identical, as is often the case. And maybe uh, we have the men's retreat at Wolf Mountain coming up. And if we go up there, we fellowship with some other churches in Northern California. And sometimes uh, as you you get to know them and find out what they're dealing with, the challenges they have, or what their church is like. It's not necessarily the same as this church. And uh, you find that in Revelation, that um, some of the churches were experiencing great persecution. It's like they were in survival mode. And um, I think it's the church of Smyrna that was uh, characterized that way, if my memory is right. Don't quote me on that. I am, I am over 50. I'm 51 in a little over a month. So don't quote me on that. Cut me slack. Um, of course, the book of Ephesians is, um, in some ways, I think I saw J. Mer J. Vernon McGee uh, mention on Ephesians, uh, kind of almost describe it as close to an ideal church. And God was very complimentary to them. He says, I, I see all the things you're doing. It's almost like he said, good job. 
I have somewhat against you. There's a, there's a problem here. Uh, you've left your first love. So I think they had maybe they're grown a little bit cold in their love for the Lord. Um, yeah, it's hard to characterize exactly what that was like, but they were a church that was doing a lot of good stuff. Um, you had some churches that were uh, cold, like the Laodicean church was interesting. Um, I find it interesting hearing um, a little bit more about uh, some of our knowledge uh, uh, through archaeology and uh, so forth of Laodicea with uh, apparently a couple water sources, hot and cold water. They had some sort of hot springs nearby. They would pipe that into the city and get some natural hot water. And then they had some other water that was some good cold water. Um, When I was younger, when I'd hear that verse, I don't know if um, someone explained it to me this way or I just made assumptions into my own mind. But you got that verse where God says, I I would rather you be hot or cold because you are lukewarm. I will spew you out of the mouth. In my mind, I kind of interpret it as either you're hot for the Lord, like you're on fire for the Lord, or you're kind of cold for the Lord. He didn't, you know, like make up your mind. Almost made me think of uh, the verse in the book of Joshua uh, when Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. And uh, he said, Make a choice. Are you going to serve God or not? Make your choice. Yes or no? Yes or no? And sometimes I would think of that with that hot or cold. Yes or no? Be hot or cold? Uh, don't be in between. Don't be wishy-washy. Uh, well, hearing more about you know what the water was like at Laodicea, actually both the hot and cold were good stuff. You had the hot water, you had the cold water. But uh, mixing the two kind of lost the, the value of either one. So I don't think it was meant to be like cold spiritually, hot and cold, on fire for the Lord or cold for the Lord. More like you're really useful. Be this way or that way so you're useful. Don't be unuseful to the Lord. So that was uh, Laodicea uh, who was mentioned that way. So those were the things that were currently. I think chapter 2 and 3 would go with that. The things which are. Those were churches that existed at that time. And, he's, and, uh, in some, uh, and he says to them, if, if, if you don't get some of the things right, your candlestick can be removed. Your, your church could close down uh, because of that. Um, and of course, we um, just briefly mentioned the angels that are mentioned there. The word angel means messenger, so it doesn't always have to be an angelic being that flies around, uh, plays harps, has a halo over its head. I don't know if angels have those things or not. That'd be interesting. Let's find out someday. I want to find out how many of the angels actually own harps and play them. Um, we'll find that out in heaven. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, likely the pastors of the churches who were the messengers, God's messenger to the church, Um, So the word angel doesn't always have to mean what we think of as an angel. All right, and the things which shall be hereafter. Well, there's a lot of topics that are covered here. Here's a little uh, sampling of some of the types of topics. Um, We learn a little bit about the crown of life in chapter 2, verse 10. We have the opportunity to earn uh, rewards for how we live life and... and, uh, in that case, uh, if we hang in there, um, as is uh, discussed there, earning a crown of life, uh, we learn about the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation. Uh, the Lamb of God, who is the Alpha and Omega. Um, we uh, learn a lot, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, um, in his role in end-time events. Um, things such as the Ar- Battle of Armageddon, um, found in uh, Revelation chapter 16, also discussed in the book of Daniel. Uh, the Lamb of God discussed in chapter 5, verse 12. The Alpha and Omega in chapter 21, verse 6. We read about the New Jerusalem, uh, the eternal home of the church, uh, where we w- will someday be if we're truly a Christian, uh, discussed in Revelation chapter 21, also mentioned in John, uh, the Gospel of John chapter uh, 14. Uh, deals with uh, Jesus' promise that he's going to go and prepare a place for us. That's in John 14 where he mentions that wording. And um, we have a further description in Revelation chapter 21 of this place where we're going to be free of tears, free of pain, free of death, uh, this eternal home for Christians. Uh, We learned some about the Antichrist. Now the, the word Antichrist in the Bible is sometimes used of people other than the Antichrist. Uh, there are many antichrists, people that are against Christ and oppose him. 
but this is the Antichrist in the end times. Um, and so there's some description of him. Uh, the book of Revelation, I don't believe, uses the term Antichrist. Calls him the beast. And uh, the beast of Revelation 13 um, is that Antichrist. And there's other information about him and other, um, others of the uh, epistles, uh, the book, other books of John, as well as Second Thessalonians. And then uh, we read also about a new heaven and a new earth. Um, now the new Jerusalem is that Jerusalem city, um, but it's going to be part of that new heaven. Revelation 21 goes into that sum, and a tree of life. Um, thank the Lord we have that opportunity. You go back into the Garden of Eden, and uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were prevented from eating of the tree of life. Uh, their, the punishment on them was death. Physical death followed by spiritual death. And they couldn't access the tree of life and were prevented from eating of it after sin. Uh, but we'll have access to it again because Jesus provides salvation so that we can have eternal life and we can eat of the tree of life uh, once again. Uh, that's discussed in chapter 22, verse 2. Um, we even learn about things that might help us with concepts such as the rapture, which the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 um, gets into. Um, but how does that fit into end time prophecies? I'm not sure that the book of Revelation um, talks specifically about the rapture, but we can understand the rapture better in the context of end time events because the book of Revelation gives us more, as well as the book of Daniel. Matthew chapter 25, uh, and amongst others. And so um, the book of Revelation is helpful with all these types of things and, and other things that I haven't even mentioned. I didn't try to make that an exhaustive list uh, that was there. And so those are the things which shall be hereafter. And uh, these things have not happened yet. Uh, we haven't had a battle of Armageddon, end of the world, destruction of the world, and a creation of a new one. Obviously, these things have not happened, so there's still yet future. Um, God says that time with him is not like time with us. Uh, time with him, thousand days, a uh, you know, thousand years is one day, one day is a thousand years. It's not a literal thought, but it's, it's meant to be uh, express the idea that uh, to God, time's not something he's bound by or restricted by. So our, in our humanity, we can perhaps start to doubt um, when we say, man, it's been a long time. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And uh, yet, our thinking ought to be focused on who God is to help us with that. That God is a God who doesn't get it wrong. He knows what he's talking about. And he doesn't lie. And so, in spite of how long it's been, we say, well, seems like, uh, okay, so it's still going to happen. And maybe today. And the uh, Bible teaches us that we ought to be looking for that, uh, I think as Paul put it, that blessed hope, um, and be watchful for that. And the conclusion of the book of Revelation has some thoughts about these. Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. And again, when someone's not um, thinking right on that, they're like, he hasn't come quickly. It's been 2,000 years. Eh, wrong answer, that's false. Oh yeah, okay. The way humans think, we think that way. But this is God talking. And in his uh, scheme of things, yeah, behold, I come quickly. Um, blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So the Bible has revelation for us that should be helpful to us on what we're doing. A saying that I often heard growing up, the Bible is our authority for all matters of faith and practice. Sometimes when I quote that, I like to add to it. The Bible is our authority for all matters of faith, what we believe, and practice, what we do. So the Bible, the Bible helps us to think the right way and to do the right things. And so listen to this verse again. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So this book, like the other books of the Bible, helps us to know what to do. We ought to be keeping the sayings of these things. We ought to be doing what it says that we should be doing. Uh, that was chapter 22, uh, verse 7. It repeats in verse 12. Behold, I come quickly. 
and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And so hopefully we have that mindset. God's coming soon. Let's be doing things that would be worthy of reward. I like verse 13. It shares us that Alpha and Omega. God's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Um, Then that goes into verse 14. I'm going to allow verse 14 to get me off on a side topic for a little bit. Um, I'm seeing the amount of time I have, so I better make it a little bit. I've got five minutes. Um, Chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. Okay, like I said, this is a side topic. It happens to come up in the book of Revelation, so I'm going to take the time to do it. In uh, Bible-believing Christianity, um, there is something called a King James-only movement. And in the, in, we went through this a little bit uh, about three years ago, I want to say. I went through some different topics. I want to share a thought or two that touch on the King James-only uh, movement. And chapter 22, verse 14, is one of the verses uh, that I can uh, use as a launching pad. Um, Actually, an organization that is currently would describe themselves as King James only, maybe I should clarify what that means. Uh, King James only, there are some who feel uncomfortable with any English translation other than the King James. But that doesn't automatically... um, Describe a King James only, the King James only movement, because someone might be uncomfortable with it, but they they're not saying, okay, I know for sure that the King James version is the only version to use. So someone might say, well, I'm not comfortable with the others, and that's the only one I feel like using. Um, I use the King James version primarily, um, so I'm I do like the King James version, and and all my memory is in the King James version. So it's one reason why I still like it because that's what I have memorized. Um, but there are those that take it further uh, and there's all kinds of levels so you can't really describe it in one lump statement but there's different levels of the comfortableness that people have with other translations all the way from well I can't say that they're wrong but this is what I just strongly prefer all the way to a far extreme that I've heard where someone says well if you if you got saved and the person who witnessed to you used another translation, then your, your salvation doesn't count because you had to actually hear the gospel message out of the King James. So that'd be a far extreme. Uh, but in between, um, there's a couple common uh, ones. Uh, one is that the King James is the only version that is the word of God without error. Um, there's another one that's not quite that. It's uh, to be a textus receptus. Uh, the Texas Receptus is a Greek translation of, uh, that Erasmus put together. So it's actually, think of the Texas Receptus, there's actually not a line of Greek manuscripts that all agree with each other. Uh, Decidius Erasmus took five copies of the Greek that didn't agree with each other, and he did something that nowadays is often anathema to people in the King James Only movement, and that is uh, textual criticism which is basically looking at the text and trying to say, okay, they don't agree with each other. Uh, what do we have here? Well, one guy that um, his organization that he started called the Sword of the Lord, his name is John R. Rice. Um, he, uh, he is one that was not a King James only, but his organization now is. He's, he's since passed away and it became a King James only organization after his passing. And uh, he was one who, again, did not take a position Uh, like that. Um, Here's what he said in one writing. In the verbal inspiration of the scriptures and the absolute reliability and authority without error, sorry, let me read that with better inflection. In the verbal inspiration of the scriptures and the absolute reliability and authority without error in the, oh, and I I see where I read. It's It's one of these where you say, I believe, and there's a bunch of statements, and I forgot it was worded that way. I've only copied the first one. I should have read it this way. I believe in the verbal inspiration of the scriptures and the absolute reliability and authority without error in the original manuscripts. So that's what we, um, that's traditionally where our church has tended, at least our pastors have tended to go. You get a variety in church, so I don't know if everyone's been exactly on that page. 
Uh, but the idea is God inspired the word of God in the original manuscripts, but as man has copied them, there's been errors, and it's hard to uh, get around that. So I'm just going to quickly show here an example of this from Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 14. Uh, Blessed are they that do his commandments. I just read that a little bit ago. Uh, I've tried to highlight here, do his commandments. So that is kind of hard to tell here, but that's the key phrase that we're going to focus on. And there is variant reading. So there are some manuscripts that say, wash his robes. You might say, well, how in the world do you get, you know, change that? Well, did someone change that on purpose? Uh, that's not even close to the same thing. Well, yeah, in English it's not close. In Greek it is close. So here's examples of that. Um, the, this is what it looks like in Greek. And I'm going to highlight here in red, there's the change in spelling. So they were words that were very close to each other, but there's some letter differences. And you can see... Uh, this EV at the beginning, change one, change that to another letter, is all it took to change it. Now, that's not hard for us to remember. I can change three to tree by dropping an H. Totally different concept. Then if you translate another language, then they don't even look alike at all. Um, so that's what happens. Same thing with here. So do his commandments by doing some letter changes got, gets changed to wash their robes. And I'm uh, looking here and saying, well, this must be a pronoun, a uh, possessive pronoun, his, that can mean singular or plural. And so, therefore, it has multiple meanings. So, when translated, then that didn't have to change to either be his or their. And it, um, so, what about uh, that? Well, um, we would hold to this that the Bible was written by God and has been faithfully preserved. You might say, wait a minute. Was that faithfully preserved? Well, now we're looking at it, and which one is it? John R. Rice strongly disagreed with this one, and he thought this was the right one. Now, I'm not sure I'm with him on his total reasoning. In fact, I know I'm not. Uh, he thought this one teach potentially was suggesting salvation by works. You're blessed and have the right to tree of life when you're doing works, doing his commandments. Um, I don't think it has to be that way. So he was very much more comfortable with this. And this is, uh, reminds us of how we get a robe of righteousness of Jesus when we get saved. And so, blessed are they that, ha that wash their robes. If your sins have been washed, you have the robe of righteousness. Now, I, don't, I think either way, as Christians, we don't struggle with what to believe. So I'm, I disagree with John Rice on that, and I'll give you some examples of some verses here on our next slide, because there's elsewhere where there's some wording in the Bible that kind of talks about works. Um, how about, let's see, here in the book of 1 John chapter 3, he that keeps his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Uh, but we know from the book of James that works is evidence of true conversion. And so I don't think John's suggesting here that the person that keeps his commandments, that's what's going to cause him. Now this one also talks about we should believe on the name of Jesus, and we should keep his commandments and that's how we know that, we, that he abides in us. If you're a Christian, James said, your, your faith is going to have works. Okay. Or um, here, the greatest commandment is, well, actually, I'm not going to focus on that one for time's sake, but we know that a relationship with God is key. Um, how about the next slide um, that starts off saying, in this verse, teaching sal is this verse teaching salvation by works? Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Master, Master, calls... Not everyone that calls Jesus master is going to enter in the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to enter in the kingdom of heaven? The person that says a prayer? The person who is born again? doesn't word it that way. The person who does the will of my father, keeps his commandments. So the Bible has other wording, but we know from the scriptures uh, here, uh, such as in Ephesians, that grace is through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. Okay, and so I think um, 
I, I see with the this verse in the book of Revelation uh, that it, it if it if it was originally keep his commandments or is that what it was? Let me go back to that. Okay, I already forgot now. Uh, I'm thinking of no, I was thinking of the King James wording. Was it keep or do his commandments? Keep. Thank you. I couldn't remember which of those words. Yeah. So keep his commit or was do. Okay. So because uh, there was one of the other ones to keep. So those who do his commandments, that could be evidence of someone who has eternal life. Those whose robes are washed, that could also be. Uh, either way, do we wonder what to believe? We know, we know God's word. Now, some have taken the, the thought of preservation and said, uh, applied it in this way. It means every single Greek and Hebrew word is without doubt. But the only way you can get there is to try to say which of the manuscripts is perfect. And like I said, the, the, the King James is based upon manuscripts that disagree with each other. The Texas Receptus is based on manuscripts that disagree with each other. You can't, I don't know how you get there. Okay, enough of that. And let's wrap it up. Um, our slide here. Uh, then we have these conclusions here that I'll wrap up the book of Revelation with. And I'll just read them, maybe with a little comment. Uh, this uh, verse 17 of chapter 22 and the spirit and the bride say come let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely and so we have that just that, that wonderful thing that god god desired to have us uh, if you're a christian god wanted you and if you're not a christian god wants you come freely to take the water of life verse 13 uh, verse 18 um, I testify to everyone, every man that heareth the words of the prophecy, if any man shall add unto these or take away from them, then God's going to punish them for that. It goes on to talk about. Um, and that's something we should do. Speaking of the inspiration of the word of God and the preservation of it, our goal should be to understand the word of God as he communicated it, and not to add to it. Uh, that even means, like when, we're, when I'm doing Sunday school here, don't take the word of God and then inject my own thoughts into it. Um, it's hard to do because we're humans. We have that tendency. Um, but um, we definitely don't insert it into the word of God and say that's God's word. Uh, definitely don't do that. And so verse 20, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Even so come, Lord Jesus. So there's a closing attitude that we should have. Uh, looking for the return of Christ and anticipating and desiring that and so the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all